Those are the only words that I can understand. <laughs> but it's like a woman in a nightgown and robe or something. Yeah. And she, she looks she, like she's been forcibly thrown down a street. She's one of the 86 bouncing. teenagers a week. I Bounce down a street? Is that what they're warning us about? Hey Maniacs! Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig into the episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. That I guess that makes me Sarah. Yes, it Just does. Just by process of elimination. And uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. We're a bit loony already I today. am slap happy today. I'm just going to say that, put that right out there. Just a warning, if you let your kids watch the show, they can listen to the podcast, but if uh, going online and pretending to be other people... What, to date some guy named Sonny Boy? Sonny Boy. <laughs> How did they pick that person? Oh, geez. He's done a lot of work, though, as an actor. Oh, he does? Yeah. Oh, okay. If you haven't picked up already, we're talking about Season 12, Episode 7, The Great and the Good. Episode 73. I can't believe it's 73. I can't believe that this is another Badger's Drift episode. This time, Badger's has an apostrophe. Yes, I did notice that. They need to make up their mind. Does the drift belong to the Badger's or not? The going back and the forth is making this English major irritated. We got a couple of things off the front, off the front though. Yes. We want to uh, send some shout-outs to a couple of people. One, Ben Sorison in... Australia, who sounds like a heck of a guy. He runs a trivia night. He listens to our podcast. Of course he's heck of a guy. That's true. He, he does voiceover work and runs a, uh, runs a, a pub trivia night. And seems super like, fun. Seems like a super fun guy. He invited us there. Like, yeah, thanks, Australia. We can't go outside. You have crowds <laughs> of 30,000 people. Because they can, because they're smart and isolated. It says on his Twitter profile that he's voiceover guy. He writes columns. But he's unable to leap tall buildings. Oh. So, so there's one thing he can't do, yeah. but everything else he can do. Someone else who shouted us out this week is Clarabelle A. Ortega. And I followed up on her. She is an incredible young woman. Thanks, Clarabelle. Uh, she is a YA author. She does young adult author stuff. Mm -hmm. And her latest book is called Ghost Squad, which is about girls of color doing ghost hunting. I'm like... Wait a minute. I am familiar with this genre. <laughs> that that's that sounds like your comic in a parallel universe. Yes. You guys have lots in common. Yep. So if you don't know, uh, well, we haven't talked about it. I did a Kickstarter two years ago now. I can't believe it's two years ago. Wow. To do a comic called Spirit with an amazing artist from Fort Wayne. and uh, Whose name is Melissa... Caprilli... Leone. <laughs> I leave you to pronounce her last name every time. Anyway. And... Uh, we uh, successfully kickstarted a comic about young girls who are ghost hunters. Yeah. So it's super cool. Yeah. So her, her, she has a new book coming out about witches this year. There was another Twitter thing that happened this week, though. Yeah, that overshadowed everything. We found out from the Northern Echo that a, a wee boy in England, <laughs> a guy you might have heard of, named Stephen, Stephen Fry. Fry, has been drinking pints and pints of oat milk. 
and watching old TV series such as Midsummer Murders. So I got on the intertubes right away. <laughs> tickety, tickety, some of you may have noticed, and called out Mr. Fry and said, if you're so into watching old television shows like Midsummer Murders, you should be listening to this podcast. Yes. I and I, I made a little self-effacing joke and offered for him to be on the tele on the radio show on the <laughs> on the podcast. We're an old time radio show. Yep. So, Mr. Fry, first of all, if you're listening, you're awesome. And second of all, you are welcome on the show at any time. But we have, uh, we have, we want to engage the Midsummer Maniac Army. Yes, to amplify this message so that he might notice it. Because, uh, you know, one tweet at him, I'm sure he gets lots of ads every single day. So, yeah. so um, like it, retweet it, reply to it. Send your if own you message to. to Stephen that says. Maybe we can at least get him to mention the podcast, I, I listen to one episode. I don't think there's enough of you to cause actual harassment. No. But if he actually uh, notices, uh, I may squee really <laughs> loud. Yes, like a schoolgirl excited about a boy band. Indeed. The great and the good. Uh, Two things that this episode is not. <laughs> I have an alternative title for this episode, and it's going to introduce a new um, occasional segment to the show called Sarah's Plot Hole Corner. Oh, okay. Because, wow, this episode's full of plot holes. The other way you can see it is that the writer of the episode, who is... David Hoskins. ...was doing us a favor by leaving little areas of the mystery unexplained so that we could figure them out. I, I, That's the nice way of putting it. You know... <laughs> You get a sense in this episode that this is just a vehicle for the woman playing Connie Bishop. Nancy Carroll. To get on television. To be in her slinky pajamas and scream a lot. Okay. She's a good actress. I got to tell you. She she's plays a Lady great Felicia in, in Father Brown, and she's great. And we've talked about this before, how seemingly unattractive women to us are fawned over in this show yeah she's a great actress i have no like she is unattractive to me really yeah i think she's beautiful uh, she's skinny i can see that she she's, needs a sandwich i but can see that she has traditional beauty characteristics maybe it's her mysterious wealth that they're after oh well i don't oof. Oof. we're gonna get there yeah Tell us about when it aired and when it was filmed. filmed in March and April, <laughs> 2009, which must have been cold. Mm -hmm. There's definitely cold parts in this show. Uh, broadcast date was the 14th of April, 2010, and had 6.97 million viewers. Okay. It's set in Badger's Drift, and the pub is not aptly named. It's the Black Swan. Because if, if it was aptly named, it would be... The Screaming School Teacher. The Screaming School Teacher. <laughs> I think it would be the screaming school teacher and have a picture of her like like doing the scream thing from the munch painting. Yeah. Like, oh! My first note, my very first note, oh, the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to like we have to continue that on at the beginning in the cold opening of every Father Brown, the new version, mm -hmm. volume two. Yes. The, the retcon of Father Brown. Yeah. She ends 95% of the cold open screaming when they find a body. Yes. And they make fun of it in the later seasons yes, they and do. stuff like that. She's good at it. But 
she's got a set of pipes on her. All I know is that, okay, so here's the conceit, right? She lives alone in a cottage right on the village square, right on the green, surrounded Mm -hmm. by lots of other people. Yes. She wakes up in the night. She hears a sound that sounds like somebody coming up the stairs in her home. And so her first thought is to hang out the window and scream for help. Which, like, I understand a single woman alone in a house has these fears. Mm-hmm. And they are completely legitimate. Mm-hmm. And I, Having just watched the Night Stalker documentary? Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> you have those fears. So you also have a cricket bat or... Or a big dog named Mongo. Oh, no. She has that. Mongo is the worst dog. Uh, no, <laughs> he's, he's, he's not a, a good guard dog. He's a wonderful dog. But he seems he's overly the friendly. worst yeah. guard dog. But s- screaming is not going to get him caught. No. I think the best case scenario is he would run out of the house. Uh, I, I'm just going to gloss over it. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's why she does that. But it doesn't matter. But what does matter is a bunch of men come to her aid. Yes. So The four stooges couple of things before the four stooges get there. Imogen falls out of the attic. Did you notice that? <laughs> I don't know where she's been. I don't know what she's doing or where she's been, but she literally falls out of the attic. Imogen is problematic. Imogen Stroud, who runs the grocery and post office. And then with the continuation of this show's love for American books, did you see what her mother who is the most angelic human being ever. Mrs. Stroud? Yes. What is What's she reading? reading? What, what is it? She's reading Secret History, which is a Donna Tartt book oh. about academics in a Vermont liberal arts school. Oh. Do you know this book? No. Oh, it's a super good book. I, I, don't, I don't want to give anything away, but it's, uh, it's about academia. It was the first book I read that I was like, oh, they got academia kind of right here. Mm. And second of all, ooh, I have no idea how this is going to end. So it's a fiction. Yeah, it's a okay. fiction book. So Yeah, so we get the Strouds mother and daughter. Mom doesn't even get a name. She's just Mrs. Stroud. Who is the nicest person? Her She's daughter, Imogen. So nice. Vince uh, from the Black Swan arrives. Justin arrives. So Vince is the, the pub landlord. Yes. Justin, the sculptor. He's a local artist. Lawrence, the handyman. Yes. And then... Jim. Jim, uh, who is the head of the village council. Yes. Really, this collection of four guys who come and save her at the beginning is the worst. Like, half of them die. Yes. So it's a bad group to be in. And Vince points that out later. Anybody associated with Connie gets their throat slit, so you might want to keep your distance. Because <laughs> two of them do indeed get their throat slit. Uh, Connie? That's her name, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Connie is reading Love for Lydia, a semi-autobiographical novel written by British author H.E. Bates, first published in 1952. Okay, I gotta be honest. I don't care about the cold opening. No. It's the next day that's important to me. Oh, there's... there. All that you're supposed to get from the cold opening is that she's upset. And she might be hysterical and making it up. People doubt that she's actually been threatened. I think we're supposed to get the impression this has happened before. And that there's a weird relationship between her and the people in town, especially the men. She's kind of an outsider in some way. And then it's daytime, so it's sunny. Mm-hmm. While if it's nighttime, it's rainy. Right. That's that's how it is. The entire episode is like that. That's how weather is. N- Don't no, you know that? That's not how weather is. Okay. 
The next day, we visit Connie at school. Tom, oh. Barnaby, and Jones are going to go debrief her, and you're going to stop me and back me up. What? The the poster in the cop shop. We have to talk about oh, that poster. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So. You're right. Tom right. has been somewhere and gotten some coffee and sandwiches. Yes. And they're walking into the office to, into the to office. work. And there's the typical posters. There's one for bombs. Yes. Right. Um, but there is another one that we have struggled with all week. It's on the inside of the front door of the building. We'll like you see it right away as soon as they come into the doors. Put a picture of this in the show notes. Yep. It's of a woman sort of freeze framing, tumbling into the street. It says on the poster the following things. Okay. 86 teenagers a week. Okay. And given the road to. Those are the only words that I can understand. <laughs> but it's like a woman in a nightgown and robe or something. Yeah. And she, she looks she, like she's been forcibly thrown down a street. She's one of the 86 bouncing. teenagers a week. I yeah, Bounce down a street? Is that what they're warning us about? The, watch out for pajama-wearing, bouncing teenagers. Better watch out or I'll give you the road. <laughs> in your nighty. Did you notice on top of one of the file cabinets there was a big roll of crime scene tape? No. We're in the cop shop. Oh, yeah, they need that. They would have it somewhere else. Oh, well, you may as well have it handy. <laughs> okay. Now can we go to school, please? Now we go to school. Okay. So they need to go see Connie because though they don't think there's anything really going on, it's worthy of checking out, right? And then they find out she's a pretty lady. So Tom, you know, he says, we want to keep an open mind, right? They. I'm going to stop you again. What? They sit down to eat their sandwiches in the cop shop. And I told you about this, but I forgot about this. Behind them is the current investigations board. Yes. Okay, did you read that? No, because oh. I knew you would. Oh, my God. Why would I waste my time? <laughs> number one, number one listed under current investigations. Missing cat. Somewhere on Scanderet Road, a black and white with red collar and a name tag, on the 19th of March, Mrs. Arundel lost her cat. Then Put it on the big board. Then Squatters is there, underlined twice with Whoa. pictures of buildings. Damn Squatters. And Vandalism is also pictured. There are three use they're looking for. They were reported by Emily Roberts on January 9th at 1130. Timesheets are are expected promptly. There's always something about timesheets on at the big 10 a.m. So what we know now is that this cat yeah. has gotten out of the house yes. to go squat in some abandoned buildings and spray paint some graffiti. Yep. What a bad cat. It is that that is the extent <laughs> of the current investigations at Midsummer. So I think they they may like, sure she's a pretty lady, but they don't have a lot They're else. They're kind to of bored. <laughs> They don't want to go look for the cat. When we're at the school for the first time talking to Connie, we get the first of the giant plot holes. Okay. Are you ready? So what we're going to do. Welcome to Sarah's plot hole corner. I'll present the plot hole and Mark will have to explain it. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. Who donated the building that houses the school? Okay. What does she say? Connie says the name of the person who donated the building. Does she say Councillor Hanley? Don't nope. Who does she say? Don't Howard Frobisher. Who is Howard Frobisher? Okay. 
So we did investigations into Frobisher. And of course, both of us came up with Sir Martin Frobisher. No, 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 no. You you're not getting the point here of this plot hole. Yeah. Howard Richardson donated the building. Not Frobisher. No. Then that's the whole plot of the episode is that he donated the building and he wants it back to get the money out of it. Then why does she say it's Howard Frobisher? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. That is a problem. Okay. It's the whole, his whole motive. Okay. And it's Frobisher night. Who is Frobisher? Okay. I'll explain. <laughs> oh, you think you got this? Yeah. You think Howard married Suki and took her last name? Is that what you think? No. no. Okay. Because I'm not buying that one. That's the only one I could come up with. Is okay. that he used to be Frobisher, but then he married Zuki. Because she's awesome and said, she, you're so wonderful. I'm going to give up my last name and take yours. We will deal with Zuki. Okay. <laughs> so the, the problem you have is that she names Harold Frobisher. Howard. Howard Frobisher as the benefactor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, she is also the head of the Frobisher Night Committee. Mm-hmm. She has had a bad night. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's been upset. The police have been called, you know. It, she's, oh, so your your explanation is that she's discombobulated and gets the name wrong? Okay, can you wait till I explain? <laughs> okay, keep okay. going, keep going. Okay. Let's see if you can get out of Sarah's plot hole corner. So, she's had a rough night. She, she, she goes to the meeting and starts to cry right away, mm-hmm. right? So, obviously, end of her rope and tether. So, she just got the words mixed up because she's involved with the Frobisher night stuff. It's on her mind. And she's involved with the school stuff. It's on her mind. And she just got her words mixed up. Okay, but she says his name several times and says Frobisher every time in that conversation. Okay, that she's upset. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you have it, I guess. She's got to change all the locks on her door. It makes the episode make no sense at all. Uh, It does. I, I, I I do agree with that. Nor do we ever get an explanation of who Frobisher actually is. No. Who is this person who we no. named a knight after that we hold every year as a fundraiser? Somewhere somewhere in England, somebody's looking at all the weird searches people do of England things. Mm-hmm. And in Bloomington, Indiana, the two of us probably searched for Frobisher Knight 10 times this week. And he is not a thing. No. There's no like all searches come back to this episode. Yeah, there's no like uh, big philanthropist in the UK named Frobisher in history or anything like that. Nope. The last name just means Furbisher, which is somebody who polished armor in the 10th century. Yeah, like it, it doesn't mean anything. But now here's another way out of the corner that is, I think, more interesting. Okay, if she is indeed wrong, and it should be Richardson which we know it should be, Howard Richardson, then maybe it should be Richardson Knight instead of Frobisher Knight, in which case Zuki is completely justified in taking it over because it is named after her husband. But she would have been taking it over. Like, you get the sense that they just moved to the village a few years ago. No, because he donated the building, what do they say, back in the 60s? Oh, he did? 60 years ago? Oh. 30 years ago? It's been a bit. No, I think he just recently married Zuki. Because they call her a trophy wife. Yeah, I think do. she may be new, she, but he's not. Wait a minute. They're like what the same kind of age. sick participation trophy is that? <laughs> if that's your idea of a trophy wife, give the trophy back. Because Zuki's awful. Zuki is a fantastic character and a horrible human being. Three times in my notes, I have the line: "Can I slap Zuki yet?" Because <laughs> I really want to slap her. 
She, you know, Zuki has a job, right? No. Yeah, she works for the gaslighting company. Oh, you're so funny. Because that's all she does. That's all she does. Something must be causing those nightmares. <laughs> no one said anything about nightmares. No. <laughs> all right. So I'll, I'll give you that maybe you got out of the first plot hole corner. But there's another one coming up, and I don't think you're going to be able to get out of it. Okay. Well, the village hall, you don't even go in it. Oh, no. The roof is leaking. The heating's kaput. We're at Zuki's house. You know, Badger's Drift, we've said many times, a lot of bad things have happened here. I'm not surprised that the village is on the decline. It's certainly not winning Village of the Year award. Would you want to live there? No. No. (laughs) Get out. So we have a meeting of the Frobisher Night Committee, which appears to have every woman in the village on it. Yes, all the... Except for Imogen. Imogen's not there. She's clickety-clacking with... She's on Randy the internet, boy or whatever. Finding Sunny Boy and running the grocery store. Yep. Imogen's got other things to do. Yes. So we did find Sir Martin Frobisher, who I learned about in school, and I bet you didn't. No. Yes, because he's a Canadian. Well, he's not Canadian, but he explored Canada. Ah. <laughs> so that's why I know about Frobisher, right? He was trying to find Northwest Passage and ended up finding Baffin Island, which we. Yay, Baffin <laughs> Island. Awesome. Congratulations. It's like Greenland, but less green than Greenland. And smaller? It's smaller. It's Yay. kind of tilted. <laughs> they have Frobisher Bay there. So the whole idea of Frobisher Night is it's a fundraiser. So they have a, a silent auction to raise money for various village causes, right? To fix up the village hall, to invest in the school, And it sounds to me like the council kind of decides how to allocate the money, but it's their big fundraiser, and it's the big to-do of the year for the people who live in the village. Yes. And Connie is the chair of the committee. Yes. But Zuki has decided, because she's a biatch, to take it over and get the right kind of people. Which means... this is where I think the title comes in, because I think Zuki thinks of the right kind of people... As being the great and the good oh. of the local, the wealthy people who can well, afford to bid big. Yeah, great and good is a, it's a Bible quote. Yeah. Or it's a hymn quote. It's one of those yes. two. But she wants to make serious money. What she really wants is serious attention. Yeah, she wants to take it over. And everybody knows this. I'm amazed that she ever tolerated somebody else being in charge like the yeah. prior year. How, how did she put up with that? You yes. know, like it just can't imagine her not being in charge of everything. She clearly thinks that she should be. And she's got this sidekick, Jane Menzies. Yep. Who, the two of them, remind me of those, the dogs in the cartoon where there's like a big dog who's real mean and a little dog who's like, yeah, boss, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally Jane, Jane like that. is is that flunky sidekick. But I don't think she's not as bad as Zuki, but she doesn't step in or correct her or disagree with her ever. So. No, she just goes with the flow. When Barnaby shows up, she's like, oh, I guess Barnaby's here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might think that the video interaction between Isabel, uh, Imogen, Imogen and Sunny Boy, Sunny Boy is, is uncomfortable. But I, I got to tell you, the most uncomfortable scene in this show for me was when Zuki implied sexual favors to get money out of her husband oh she's so gross oh 
first of all. Only two thou, honey. And you know I'll be appreciative. And yeah. she makes her fake pouty face. And I yeah. just want to slap her. Oh, just, just upsetting. <laughs> just, oh. I actually think he likes her, though. I think Howard actually likes his wife. I don't know why. Well, given what happens at the end when he says she's not involved in any way. Yeah. I think he loves her. Yeah. I don't know why. But he also is like, but you're going to be homeless with a bunch of debt. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) There is that. (laughs) So then we get to meet Jim Henley, who is the head of the village council. And he and Howard together have the most fantastic old man eyebrows. The two of them, their eyebrows... Like, it's, like, can they be in the same room together without their eyebrows getting tangled up with one another? I don't, I don't know, but they speak through each other's eyebrows antenna. Like, they remind me of that guy in Dune in the, in the first, the David Lynch Dune movie, the Harkonnen yeah. helper guy who's got the great big eyebrows that like blend into yeah, his hairline. Dean Stockwell plays that character. Yeah. He's got the giant eyebrows. Yeah. They both got him. So... Every time I see an old man, and I mean like over 70 or 80 on TV, who's got great big eyebrows like that, I always wonder, like, does nobody love them? Does nobody say, honey, let's trim those? Because I'm like paranoid. Let's get those under control. Yeah. Because it's obvious they're not doing anything about them. No. So either they're embracing them, like, no, we can't cut my eyebrows. I like them this way. Or they're oblivious. Yeah. So... I went down the Google trail of what is the deal with older guys' eyebrows and why don't they trim them? (laughs) Like, is there a thing? Is it a style thing? Is it a pride thing? It might be a pride thing because once men get over 70 or so, their testosterone levels actually go up. So your eyebrows are one of the things that grow really fast and you get these lush, big eyebrows as an older guy. So maybe it's like, I'm losing the hair on my head, but I've got these great eyebrows, so I'm going to keep them. I don't know. But there's one man who thinks he has a theory. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry you went to his website. I did. Actually, he wrote uh, an article for the Claremont Sun. Claremont's in Ohio back in 2011. <laughs> oh, man. You know, this episode, do the work for this episode has a kind of thin plot in places. So you fill those gaps with interesting background information and theories about why old men have untended eyebrows. <laughs> What is his theory? I will read this passage to you. Okay. This is from the Claremont Sun, April 5th, 2011. I have come up with a theory about the eyebrows. Okay. Have you ever seen a yard full of dandelions? A few dandelions and a well-manicured lawn are obnoxious, but a yard full of dandelions can be beautiful. Long, bushy eyebrows are like dandelions. If you leave them alone, you'll eventually have a nice furrow of bushy eyebrows and people passing by will remark on how beautiful they are, just like a field of dandelions. No. He also thinks that they- Was there a picture of this dude? Because he's got the big one. No, he didn't have bushy eyebrows. Uh, He also has a theory that um, big bushy eyebrows are a sign of wisdom. He says, I admit my theory is based solely on observation rather than on rather than on empirical research using old lab rats, but there are more than enough real-life examples to support my bushy eyebrows great wisdom theory. No, I'm sorry. I disagree. (laughs) You're not buying it? Nope. Okay. They're not dandelions, and they're not a sign of wisdom. They're just a style statement. They're a flex. 
Look at my eyebrows. Fear me. I'm on the council. The thing I don't know is how Imogen can use her computer and that window close sound happens every time she closes a window. <laughs> There's a lot of... Technology plays a strange role in this episode, okay. right? So we've got Imogen on her computer. We've got um, uh, DC Stevens with her magic gizmos. We've got okay, the we, weird software that plays the sound. I mean, there's all kinds of okay. webcams we, remotely controlled by smartphones. We, we are leaving the technology of Imogen apart from that. Because oh. Imogen's technology is the most realistic in this episode. Yeah. The other magic Bluetooth wireless Funkadoodle technology <laughs> at the end, I will speak of. But right now, Imogen's computer just makes a weird sound when she closes the she window. She definitely likes to take off her glasses to magically become a different person. Oh, well, when she sees Ben in the grocery store, she is like all over him like weed on toast. But she doesn't realize that when she's not wearing her glasses, she's squinty oh, and less attractive. So squinty. <laughs> I'm like, I'm kind of bi and I'm kind of hetero and I'm just kind of awesome. <sighs> oh, honey. And her mother, oh, who is the most angelic woman on the planet, doesn't freak out. She just goes, you need to get out more. Yeah. And just lets her be her. Like, yeah. I know you're in you're in the Mrs. Stroud uh, fan club. Well, she helps everybody. She's a nice. She's person. super nice. She listens. What does that say about this episode? That that is notable. There's yeah. a nice person in this episode. Yeah. Then there's that weird scene. So if you're directing a Midsummer, you got to put your stamp on it. Yeah. I'm always reminded of the the uh, the shot in. Picture for murder, the long shot. The long sweeping crane shot. Which yeah. I don't think we have seen anything like that. Mm -mm. This There's a weird dream sequency sleepy thing. With the little kids making the faces? Yes. Yeah. It's weird. Do the people who make Midsummer hate small children? I don't know, but if that's the worst nightmare you have, it's not bad. It's just kids making faces and getting kind of bulgy. Yeah. Bulgy kid faces. <laughs> The other thing, oh my gosh, we got to back up. Okay. When we were talking about the school and well, about the- we, we did not cover Justin's giant yellow ball. <laughs> so at, outside, outside, outside the, school, the school, there's a building that's like semi-attached because all these buildings are like crammed up against each other. Yep. So where the parking lot is for the school, in front of the building that's immediately next to the school, there is a pile of giant yellow balls. Which- if, They're not school balls. They're which, not play balls. No, no. They inflated. look like boys. Or concrete. Yeah. Like, they're yellow. But And, and my, you think they're Justin. I, I don't they're think Justin. Justin live next door to the school. Yeah, he his, can't. He's right next door. He, he looks out the window at her. But, uh, but it, it can't work that... No, the geography is just wrong. No, no. I think his studio is next door. But he lives somewhere else? He's so broke he had to sell his house, but he has a studio and a house. We're not covering how broke or not broke these people <laughs> are because how is he making any money making those crap sculptures anyway? Well, his he, work is not very good. Except for the giant horse. Yes, the horse is good. There's a big horse but right But he has stuff the outside the front different. door. Yeah. So I think the balls are his because of that. Plus, I like saying Justin's giant yellow balls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Jim Henley's dead. Hanley. 
his dad. His throat's been slit. And well, well, so in, in she Tommy's does the backyard. whole. She does the whole. I'm upset at night thing again, and they everybody comes running. Really, it should be the the blonde that cries wolf episode. Yeah, and everyone comes running again, and then they're like the. It's it's not Jones. It's what's her name? Stevens. Stevens, who says, uh, "There's something over here." Yeah, <laughs> which you, is you a dead body. Look at this. Yeah, because the first night Connie is beside herself with fear, but the second night she's so over it that she just leaves the back door standing open. Oh, it's. <sighs> what are you thinking, lady? So what we don't know at that point is that Howard and Jim are walking to the house via the backyard, I guess. I guess. And Howard spontaneously slits Jim's throat. Did you notice in the recreation, it's dry as a bone, and in that night, it's pouring, pouring rain. rain? Yeah, because I worried about the dog getting too wet. Oh. I'm sad for Mongo. Poor Mongo. That's a lot of hair on that dog, too, to get I wet. Think he's an Irish wolfhound. She needs a towel by the door to get like him dry <laughs> and stuff. So we have a dead body. Yay! Yay! Jim's dead. Somebody's died. Who is... Okay, Jim is the other extremely nice person in this episode. Yes, yes. He's a peeping Tom He's a peeping and a voyeur. Tom. Yes. Semi-stalker. But when faced with blackmail, he does the right thing. That's right. If you're ever faced with blackmail, and we learned this from the... Bla- the master blackmailer in Sherlock Holmes. I thought you were going to say from experience. No, no. <laughs> We don't talk about that. that. You just say, go ahead. You just say, go I'll, ahead. I'll tell everybody before yeah, you can. I'll, I'll tell everybody before you can. Yeah, and then you can't and hold you, it against they me. They steal all the blackmailer's energy. Yeah. Right? And that's what he does. He goes, go ahead and tell people. And I'll just be like, you blackmailed me. Yeah. Who's worse? Yeah. So, I'm just looking at a pretty lady. Yeah. So? So he gets his throat slit. Yes. And then there's all this stupid oh stuff about... Oh, my God. My notes are bad. <laughs> about Justin, you know, Justin's in love with Connie, but Lawrence is trying to get her in the sack, and they get jealous of each other. I, I and the following note, Justin's big yellow balls, so shy and nervous. <laughs> <laughs> the balls are shy and nervous? <laughs> Is that why they're huddled in a pile over by the... Like, I don't notice us. Yeah. <laughs> I can't let her know that I have three giant yellow balls. Even though she has to pass them to go to work every day. Those aren't mine. They're not mine. I don't know who left those there. Lawrence. Lawrence Mann is certainly on the make. Lawrence. It's like, which, First of all, which one of these things is not like the other? Everyone would call him Larry. They La- would. Larry Mann. They would call him Larry Mann. <laughs> Larry Mann, the handyman, because he is handy man, M-A-N-N. Oh, um, so uh, clever. He's oh, very clever. He wears an earring. He wears yep. a gold chain. Yep. He wears a Peaky Blinders hat. He wears two or three T-shirts stacked on top of each other at all times. I wonder. He keeps uh, wine in his toolbox. I don't. Okay, we'll get to the wine, because <laughs> that's a problem. Um, but I wonder if the there must be a union of builders in England, mm-hmm. why they have not sued this show. Because <laughs> no builder in this show is reputable, does a good job, is... It's a trope. Is not after your wife. Yeah. Uh, well, and as a handyman, Lawrence is kind of in a different category. So he, like, for example, he replaces Connie's locks yep. at, 
if he is a qualified locksmith, yes. then there are laws that apply to him that, so for example, you can ask a locksmith to be the keeper of a key for you. Yes. Yeah. So kind of like being a notary, like you're held to an ethical standard as, as a locksmith. Yeah. That's really high. And you can get in big trouble if you don't follow those rules. I'm kind of surprised that Lawrence would have passed that standard because he seems a bit skeezy. A bit? <laughs> My toolbox is also a cooler. I bet you he grew up in Costin. Yeah, I bet. On the mean streets of Costin. The mean streets of Costin. His toolbox is not a cooler because it's a red wine. It doesn't have to be cold. It's a Rioja. It's red. <laughs> it's not enough to put in two adults to make them so drunk that they don't know what's going on. I think there was a backup bottle in the truck because there's more than one bottle on the coffee table afterward. Doesn't matter. He gets killed. Yep. So with all her money, Connie wants to build an extension. The average salary for a UK primary school teacher is 31,000 pounds a year. Yep. And not only did she buy that house, Yep. but she's going to double the size of it with an extension. Well, first of all, it's going to disrupt the lovely garden barnaby calls that a lovely garden with a straight face it goes on it goes on forever there's a summer house back there somewhere there's three beds and two plants in each i know but that's not a lovely garden but it's grass and it's it's hers so it's lovely because when you live somewhere like that having a big garden is kind of rare right you live in town your house is on the village square and you have a big backyard like that that's a big deal okay all the more reason why she could never afford this house. I guess not. Mm-mm. Now, I've got to ask our listeners to help us with something. When uh, Barnaby and Jones go to the Richardson house, this is the when they go there and um, Heather, the strangely named maid. But what is up with Heather? She's weird. No, she- Jennifer. Jennifer or Heather. So the first time that, that Barnaby and Jones go to the Richardson house, this is when the housekeeper leads them to Zuki and Howard, and they're having the argument. Yes. In that scene, okay, before they get to the room where they're having the argument, they're, they come through a hallway. When they come through the hallway, you can see the hallway through the door. Yes. And the walls are painted with hieroglyphics. Which is interesting. Like the inside of an Egyptian tomb. I mean, like, life-size hieroglyphics. This is not something they would have added for the show. No, no. Those are there in that house, whichever house that is. I looked all over the place trying to find a, a UK country estate with hieroglyphics painted in the hallway. I couldn't find anything. There's a story there. Oh, yeah, I want to know. I know. Who does that? That's kind of cool, but I'd never seen it before. Anyway, sorry, sidetracked. So Larry goes over, completely lies about Justin and his big yellow ball. Are you just going to call Lawrence Larry now? We're yes. supposed to keep up with you? Okay. Okay. And brings out the wine and then dies. I got to stay the night because I'm too drunk. And she finds him. You can oh sleep God. in the summer house. Oh it's, it's five miles behind my house oh through my the God. dandelions. Oh, my God. <laughs> she says later that Lawrence told her he knew she being Connie. Connie says, Lawrence knew I couldn't have killed Jim because he said he knew who the real killer was. Yes. He, he says that verbatim that we don't see him saying that. Right. Okay. Welcome to Sarah's plot hole corner. Okay. okay, we're back in the corner. How does Lawrence know anything? Okay. Lawrence knows because Jim tells him. How can Jim tell Lawrence 
Who killed Jim? He's dead. No, I think... Is it the ghost of Jim? Oh, Larry. <laughs> Howard killed me. You want some wine? No, I think Jim tells Larry that Richardson's trying to blackmail him. Why would he tell Larry that? Because he's a good person. Who would know better than to confide in Lawrence, who is the skis of the village? No. He would not do that. No, he, he did that, and that scene was cut. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where uh, Crazy Brow Jim, the head of the village council, and, and skeezy Larry the handyman are hanging out, having an intimate conversation, and Jim bears his soul about, being, about having a compulsion towards being a peeping Tom and being blackmailed about it. It's like you were there. <laughs> <laughs> You're not really out of that corner. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you, but I'm not buying it. Yeah. I'm not buying it. It's completely unknown how Lawrence finds out. And it's implied that Lawrence is blackmailing Richardson, which we never seen a scene of either. And we don't know why he would be doing it. It's Well, no. Okay. I know why he Over would Over what? How did he know? Yeah. He would be doing it. If he had something on somebody, I don't think he would stop at not blackmailing them. No, I believe he would blackmail somebody. Yes. He's, 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 we just don't know how he got the information. Yeah. And it's important because otherwise, why kill him? If you start knocking the cards down at the bottom, the whole thing <laughs> is going to fall apart. <laughs> I imagine my plot hole corner like a penalty box at the corner of a roller skating rink. Yep. And this roller skating rink has lots of corners. Like, <laughs> yes, it's it more is. than four corners here. Okay. So, yes, before he dies, Lawrence does the lying thing to Connie about Justin. Yes. There's the soap opera thing. Yes. Well, I heard that he said that da, he could da, have da, his da. house back because you were so in love with him, da, 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 da. which the whole purpose of all of that is to turn is to make her upset with Justin so she can pretend to be upset with him so they don't have to get together right away. It's like a romance novel plot. Well, it's- but for me, the whole purpose of that lie is so that Connie later can say, I've never gagged for anything in my life, which is awesome. The line of the episode. I've never gagged for oh, anything. No, she's storming. She's like, I, oh, I've never gagged for anything in my life. Oh, how could he say that to me? Then Zuki makes the round of reclaiming tickets from old people. Here, okay. you give me your tickets. You're you're old and you're broke. And you so have you're, a gnome in a right bridge person. in your front yard. Mm-hmm. So you're not the right kind of people. They have a charming little garden. They're nice people. They've always been there. She takes their tickets. And eventually she makes the whole event so unattractive that people are like, here, take them. Now, Strouds are like, we don't want to go anyway. Take now, the tickets. wait a minute. They have a top DJ, and I never got a call. <laughs> top DJ kind of person. Yeah. Like, she doesn't even know what a DJ is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's sunny, so it's daytime, and we're at the scene of the crime. And Connie's remembering somebody going, kill him, yes. kill him. Oh, no, this is at night of the scene of the crime. Yes. Okay, I said this to you before the episode, and you said you had an explanation, but I don't have an explanation of this. All right. George's dudes in bunny suits, so the people who are on the forensic team, are all over the summer house and the house and the yard twice now. Mm-hmm. Twice. Right. Barnaby walks in in about 15 minutes in the episode. All right, go on. 
They're all over the house. Yes. This is the second time they've been all over the house. Yes. Later in the episode, Barnaby walks into the house and in five minutes figures out the whole electronics plot. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they? Because they didn't have DC Stevens's gadget and they weren't looking for that. How could you not see it? It's got wiring all over the house. No, it doesn't. The wiring is just from the hi-fi to the speakers that are right there. Plus, those wires are there's supposed to the be there. giant tower outside. There's the only way they could have gotten the radio signals <laughs> to Richardson's house, wherever that is. <laughs> no, I've got no problem with the, the crime scene investigators. No, I think they would have found it. I, I, they're going to take her hi-fi apart and her clock radio apart? No. Why would they even remotely suspect that somebody's trying to put subliminal messages in her mind while she's sleeping? <laughs> because it's a ludicrous plot. <laughs> when somebody has been killed outside or in her shed, that's let's, no go, sh- okay. let's go inside and take all of her hi-fis apart okay. and look inside for bugs. Wait a minute. She's not a Russian spy. Wait a minute. First of all, the summer house is no shed. It has a porch, I a know. couch. I know. It's a summer house. Second of all, I still think they would have found it. I'm sorry. Why? Why would they start taking her radios apart? I just think they would have. They would have found something. What? They would have found some wire. I or do not some... accept that. Yeah. Everything. It, now, it's because implausible. They go over your house with a fine tooth comb. It's implausible that those devices would ever work, that it's a okay. chip with a speaker and a amp on it or something i know but the way we'll that, they're, that the way that they're depicted they don't have wires leading anywhere outside the device that they're hidden in georgie's team is not going to go in and take every electronic apart for no reason at all there's no just, reason for them to suspect that's going I, on i thought they would do better <laughs> are you just disappointed in georgie's team i am they should have found them on the first night <laughs> Mrs. Stroud has really nice PJs. She does. She does. Yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. Well, <sighs> Tom keeps his folded under his pillow. Oh, we see Tom's naked chest in this episode. It's not the first time. Yeah. But when he's putting on his PJs, he gets them out from under his pillow. He's he so neat and tidy. He is very neat and tidy. This is the first time that we have seen the following thing in an episode of Midsummer. Okay. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. A traffic jam in a village. Only because. There are two uppity ladies holding it up. That they're just so rude. Like, okay, I'm Canadian. I realize that. I live in America. I realize that. But that sort of behavior is the thing that, like, oh, it. it I had to revolting. turn off the episode and go breathe deeply for a little while <laughs> because of it. It bothered you so much. It bothers me. so so much. I couldn't imagine holding up traffic like that just to chat for five seconds. As soon as somebody else came along, I would move just immediately. But not Zuki and okay. not Jane. Okay, now we have actually gotten to the point where it's upsetting me. So Sorry, I didn't know it was triggering for people to hold up traffic. Oh my God. Oh, I hate it so much. It's so selfish. It's well, Let's talk about the Richardson's little dog who finds knives and runs around with them. <laughs> okay, I don't think he finds the knife. I think... You think Howard leads him to Howard it? Howard leads him to it. Because this is a plant. The knife is clearly a plant. Welcome to another Sarah's Plot Hole Corner. Okay. <laughs> the knife has Lawrence's blood on it. Yes. As well as... Or, or no, Jim's blood on it. Or maybe both. I don't know. And... Connie's fingerprints. Yes. Later, 
when Barnaby is unpacking the motive and the how and the why and the when, he just casually tosses out that Howard got Connie's fingerprints on the knife somehow. Yes. And then he moves on. Yes, he went back into the house that he has no key for, but she leaves the doors open. No, he got the key from Lawrence's body. That's true. He got Mm. the key from Lawrence's body. Goes back in the house to the sleepwalking woman who wakes up at the sound of a creaking creaking Yeah. Uh, Takes her sleepy hand, because she's drunk, right? And puts it on the knife. Oh, no. Yeah, we don't we don't see a reenactment of it because the actors refused to do this. <laughs> I thought maybe he's smart and he used a knife that was already Connie's, but he couldn't have because he kills Jim impromptu. Nope. So there's no way he went to Connie's house and got the knife and okay. And and while we're on the subject of Howard getting into Connie's house, he had a key to the old lock, and that's how he got in and put these little devices everywhere. I guess. Where was she when this happened? He gets the new key from Lawrence. Yeah. Right? But how did he have the old key? I don't know. Well, I looked into this transferring of fingerprints because I thought maybe he found her fingerprints somewhere in the house, lifted them, and put them on the knife. Right? You've seen that in mystery shows, right? I don't think that's possible in reality. It actually is. Oh, it is? Yes. Okay. And the name for people who study fingerprints uh well the name the, the the term for the study of fingerprints is dactyloscopy oh that's a cool word it means finger show in greek mm-hmm. dactyloscopy oh so i read this article from the 1937 uh, journal of criminal law in the police science section that they used to have which is awesome so this is the latest research oh, oh yes yes Um, in Fingerprint Forgery, Transferring Latent Fingerprints by William H. Harper. Okay. 1937. Um, But he actually did a really cool thing. What he did was a comparison of fingerprints lifted or forged in various ways. And then he looked at them under microscopes, which people weren't doing then. So he was scientific. He was scientific about it to see which method would get the best results and those best results if they would actually fool anybody into thinking that they were real fingerprints. And what did he come up with? And what he found was the most convincing way to do it was to lift an actual fingerprint. So it's the sebum, the oil from your skin that makes the pattern that mimics the the ridges um, on your finger. You lift it with something like, like transparent tape. Yep, sticky tape. Sticky tape. Um, and apply it to another surface. Don't rub it with your finger to adhere it. Right? You rub it with an object, preferably something soft, yeah. and then lift it off. And if there was sufficient strength to the original fingerprint, the transfer will be convincing. Oh. Unless you looked at it through a microscope. Oh. If you look at it extremely close, you'll you see... You would see particles of the sticky tape, wouldn't you? Um, not necessarily, but you see gaps in the ridges. Which are not that are, possible. Well, and they're kind of in signature spots because of the way the tape picks it up and lays it back uh, down again. Yeah. So it's a pattern that you can start to see as you look at these, that he calls them forged fingerprints. I wonder if they do a forensic test of that in forensic school. Well, now they probably have software that just picks it up. And they probably look at all fingerprints under a microscope at some point. I would but, think so. but in the 1930s, that wasn't 
standard. So you would just see the fingerprint, you'd match it, it'd be right, and that would be it. Wow. But he takes her hand and puts it on. Remember in the flashback? Oh, wait, they didn't have that. Never mind. <laughs> so Howard is is must be up to date on the latest 1930s forensic science. Well, I am up to date on another thing, which is marquees, which for our American audience are tents. We call them marquees, too. You do? Yeah. If it's for an event, like a, yeah, we call them marquees. Never heard that term before this episode. A tent is like a pup tent. It's like a camping thing. A marquee is a larger temporary enclosure. Well, the truck that drives up has topsmarquees.co.uk. That's a real website. Okay. Unfortunately, they don't say on their website, featured in Midsummer Murders, like I would have. Of course. Their website hasn't been updated in like five years, but they're still... They they just, they rent marquees. Yep. They rent tents. Maidenhead, Windsor, Reading, and High Whitcomb. Ah, so which one would have been the closest to where Midsummer is supposed to be? Probably, maybe Windsor, maybe? All I know is Zuki must be the worst customer to deal with ever. She's not happy with anything. No. And then, did you notice? It's a little thing, but they use a zooming car to change the scene. This car zooms by. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The car goes by. I'm with you. To switch from one scene to another. Then maybe, maybe Mel is Justin's ex-girlfriend. We haven't mentioned Mel yet. Okay, okay. So So we have a problem. The listeners have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, so this is the problem. We are keen observers of this television show. We are. We are. We are. So we go through the cast lists, both on different wikis and on IMDb. Even the extras. Yeah. If, if they're named in the credits, we look into them. Yeah. And there is an actress in this episode whose name is Deborah Moore. Okay. There is an actress listed for this episode. Yes. Her name is Deborah Moore. And yes. she is an actual actress yes. who has other roles to her well, credits. She is Roger Moore's daughter. She is? Yes. Oh. I, I think so. I didn't know that. I think she's Roger Moore. Well, who she is isn't the mystery. The mystery is who she plays in this episode because Mel. she's credited as Mel. So she she's either one of two people, I think, which is either she's the sister with the kids that the extension is for. By the way, that is the nicest freaking extension ever. Yeah. It's another house. And like we're supposed to see her in a scene and it got cut or something? Something. Or she's the the Justin's old girlfriend. Which but that's Claire. Her yeah, name is Claire. That's right. She's Claire. So I don't know who Mel is. Yeah, I don't know who Mel. I even searched the script for the episode. I couldn't find the name Mel. Do you know who Mel is? We need we need a lost poster on the current investigation. <laughs> have you for seen Mel. have you seen this character? Her name is Mel. She's supposedly in this episode, but we can't find her anywhere. I love when jo- uh, Joyce and Tom are in bed and she's putting the earplugs in and he pretends to talk to her and he speaks <laughs> oh, silently. He yanks her chain. I thought that was so funny. Oh, it's super good. So Connie decides that she must be the killer. It's her. Yeah. She's sleepwalking and she's killing people because she's having bad dreams and she's hearing voices saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. this sleepwalking thing comes in right at the very end of this episode that she sleepwalks and gets in bed with Justin. Which, like, not even a skeezy boyfriend would play that role. No. I'm sleepwalking. I have to get into bed with you. (laughs) She goes from being kissy-kissy to screaming and hitting him. She bloodies his nose. Yeah. He's bleeding. It's serious. But he does the right thing trying to wake her up. He, He... 
He sleeps in the, the guest bed, room. The guest room. He's a gentleman. Mm-hmm. He says he's going to go. He decides to stay. It's a very good reason. He gets all undressed. He gets in the in the bed, and suddenly she's there, all creepy. And like Justin is the unsung hero of the episode. Because the other thing is, they're all like, "Oh, well, Justin wants the house back. Obviously, he killed his ex girlfriend." Uh, no. Why? Maybe she just moved away. <laughs> Why on earth would you jump to that conclusion? And Justin's ex-girlfriend's like, no, we just grew apart. He never touched me at he all. He was actually he's, almost too nice. He's a super nice boy. <laughs> Justin Hooper is played by Bertie Carvel. Carvel, sorry. Did he remind you of anybody? He does. He reminds me of some other actor. Paul Rudd. I think he looks yeah, like Paul Rudd. He's a little Paul Ruddy. He played Ant-Man, if you're yeah. not familiar with Paul. But um, Bertie Carvel is in Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, and he plays Jonathan Strange. That's right. He and does. if you've, I don't know, if you've never read the book or seen the show, oh, one or the other, both, whatever, it, they're both great. It's awesome. Yep. Um, it's a good story. But you just hinted at another plot hole. Okay. Why does Imogen deny knowing Claire? I don't know. What is her point in doing that? Okay. Why does Imogen do anything in this episode? She is not Why is needed. she in it? She is not needed in this episode at all. I think she might have been there originally as a red herring because she's slightly creepy and secretive and she may have had like a jealousy motive maybe at some point. That could have worked. They could have done something with that, but they didn't, but they kept the character. And the moment I think, she, I think her reason for being got revised out at some point and in the script. The moment in which she could have easily hurt Connie Bishop when she says when her mom is like, No, no, Larry didn't say Larry said that at the pub, not mm-hmm. not Justin. And she calls Imogen. Imogen could have come in and totally gaslit her right there. Mm-hmm. And she would have been freaking out. Mm-hmm. But she's like, oh no. No, no. Justin loves you. Yeah. We totally agree on this. Yeah. She does the right thing. So why is Imogen there? Her mother could have done every part of that, except for the Nymphette 99 thing. Which is unimportant. It's it's when... it's like this episode was written by committee. <laughs> written by, like, phone tag? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> When Connie is screaming at the very beginning of the episode, Justin is one of the men that runs to her aid. On foot, half-dressed, jammies, runs to her aid. But then she invites him to her house for dinner, and then he stays the night, and he arrives in his car. The green gets longer at night. So he lives so close he can go there in his pajamas and hear her while he's sleeping, but just far enough to drive there for dinner. Yeah. You you answered your own plot point. Maybe maybe it's a one way road between their houses, and it's a long path around. So if you're in a car, you got to go further. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe Suki and her friend have caused another traffic jam, and he needed to go around the long way instead of just going by foot from his house, which is in screaming distance. Yes. Okay, I'm with you. Not, but okay. He had other places to go earlier. Yeah, he drove out of town to get the flowers and then decided to just park his car at her house instead of at his house, which is like two doors down. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. There we go. Did you notice how strange Joyce's bedside cabinets are? 
What is up with them? It's like they're random cabinets just stacked on top of each other. They're different depths, different heights, different colors, was, but they look built in. I don't understand them. Yeah. I don't get it. Why would the Barnabys not turn the phone off at night? <laughs> because he has to answer the phone. But why would they not call his cell? Because his cell is plugged in downstairs. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they did, and, they, and he doesn't answer it, so they call his house. Maybe it's in Because he's sleeping. It's in Justin's house. <laughs> Maybe it is currently inside Connie's record player. Barnaby's a bull. George should have found it, according to you. Barnaby's a bull in the china shop when he gets back. (laughs) He's getting dressed in the dark, putting his pajamas on in the dark. He's got that big bare chest there. So then Barnaby explains this whole somnambulism thing, which comes out of nowhere. Well, it's Connie's idea. Yeah. Right? Because she's having nightmares. She thinks that she might be the killer. She's not happy about it. Yes. It's a real defense. It's been used many times. So Barnaby lists a guy, his name is Albert Tyrell, who said, I accidentally set fire to this place where my hoochie mama on the side lives. A lady of the night. A prostitute. Yes. He burned a brothel to the ground. Yes. Did he get away with it? I don't know. I didn't look in. I just know that he, he did it. I did find out. That his entire defense was supported scientifically by a friend of Daniel Webster. The guy who wrote the dictionary. Yeah. Wow. That's an early case. Yep. It's not, I, I don't, it's not the best known. What's the, the most best infamous known? case of somnambulism as a homicide defense. Okay. And I bet you you've heard of this story. It's from 1887. And um, there was a, a French detective. His name was Robert. Ledroux. Okay. Um, he was 35, but he he was a known detective in France. Okay. Police detective. He was a big deal. Okay. Yep. He goes to the seashore with his family for a vacation, and while he's there, there's a murder. It, this could come from a novel. Yeah. Since he's a bigwig in the big city, detective-wise, the local cops ask him to come and help. Yeah. Solve this murder. So this man was murdered on the beach. He's His name was Andre Monet. He had a small business in Paris. He was on a little modest vacation. You know, he, he there's no motive. He's not a bigwig, right? Yep. But Ledrew finds f- footprints on the beach near the body, which the other police have already dismissed because they're stocking feet. They're like, there's no shoe print. Can't do anything with those. But Ledrew notices there's something distinctive about the footprints. One of the feet is missing a toe. Okay. Ledrew is missing a toe. Uh-oh. I did. He shot with a Luger. Ledrew has a Luger. Okay. So Ledrew takes the cartridge they found that was the, the bullet that killed Monet. Yep. Takes his gun back to his hotel room, shoots into his own bed to muffle the sound, compares the shell casings, sees that they're identical, and turns himself in. I did it. In my sleep. I did it. Did he get off? So he convinced authorities that it was him. He had all the evidence. Yeah. And from that day until his death, 50 years later, he was kept in a secluded farmhouse outside Paris, always overseen by armed personnel and doctors. Wow. So they they didn't actually convict him. Because he confessed, so they didn't have to go to court. So they kind of settled out of court. But he had no reason to kill this guy? No, no motive, nothing. But he was a known sleepwalker. That's so weird. So he solved his own case. That's weird. That is a novel. Yeah. 
And it's a true story. 1887, Robert LeDrew. There is a there is a movie about it. Um, but it's just it's I, I was just that was incredible to me. Like, wow, missing a toe. Figured it out. Figured out it was him. So now so we're getting to the bottom of it, right? Yeah. So Connie is 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 being manipulated by something going on in the house. Barnaby picks that out by remembering the sounds that she says she hears and when she hears them. Because she's worried that she's the killer, she's voluntarily asked for them to lock her up overnight to keep her safe and keep other people safe. In the meantime, Barnaby and Jones are creeping around her house, checking things out. He picks up on the sounds and he thinks, hmm, that would be a good way for this to have happened. Maybe somebody's manipulating her. And then DC Stevens shows up with her magic device. Okay, technology doesn't work like this. The rest of the episode, that's all I'm going to say. It, it, no. Why, why not? I mean, there's bug sweepers that work that way. There is a bug sweeper that works that way, but bug sweepers are easily overcome by placing like so a bug sweeper works that the frequency admitted by the by the thing the device because it has to be powered right is different than normal frequencies right well all good bugs have frequencies that are like blenders or you know other things in the house so they're not detectable that way huh well stevens has a better gizmo than we we know about them because she picks them up she has an amazing gizmo but what the problem i have is the the technology of getting the the audio to and from because he gets audio and video to and from that house right he's transmitting and listening and video yep from his own house Mm -hmm. without any like they just don't say how that's done the video from his own house is easy he's got a webcam yeah that is triggered by somebody using his computer yeah it triggers an app on his smartphone yep that, that I can explain. The next plot hole is that there is no explanation of once Barnaby and Jones and Stevens find the bugs, how they know they lead to Richardson's house. The only, the only way. Because anybody could have placed them. Yeah. Lawrence could have done it. They could have found a wire on the floor that led to the, yeah. like, at least that would have. No, it's all wireless. No, it's all wireless. The only explanation is he's an electronic genius. He's a they, boffin. They mentioned that earlier. Then they are suddenly in the Richardson home. Yeah, they enter the Richardson's home. Without a warrant On Frobisher night, without a warrant, and the maid is elsewhere. Wouldn't you be? If Zuki and Howard were out for the night, wouldn't you be out partying, enjoying your freedom? Yes. I wouldn't work for her for a million dollars a year. No. So, yeah, it is a miracle that any of the evidence they find is of any use at all. Well, they find the smoking gun software. Yes. That... I don't understand. Okay. So the song I mean, I understand the basics of it. It's it's a, a sound library and he's he's um transmitting these sounds wirelessly to the speakers in her house and yes. playing the sounds. Yes. What I don't understand are the sound effects that are on the list. No. Because there is the following human scream ah! male. Yes. Human scream female. Yes. Human scream baby. Yeah. And human scream crown. I know exactly why all those things are there. What's crown? I don't know what crown is. Well, that's the thing I don't understand. Okay. <laughs> what, what they've done is they. It's a sample library. It's right? a sample yeah. library that the sound guy was like, oh, put these things yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. But crown, is it the queen yelling? I guess. <laughs> ah! <laughs> ah! We are not amused. 
I guess. I didn't understand that. And he's also lost a whole bunch of money spread betting. Because they know that because he has his spread betting thing open, his trading software. He just keeps the, the, the spreadsheet of all of his losses open on his desktop all the time. All the time. Do you know what spread betting is? No. What is spread betting? Well, Does you, it involve Reddit? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> That's a reference to the uh, GameStop stuff stock this week. issues that have come up this week. But so you might have heard about betting on a spread in sports betting. Yes, and that is something different. My team is going to beat your team by a certain amount of points, or the losing team is going to lose by less than what people predict they're going to lose by, or yes. they win. And so, yeah, you're betting on. The basically the distance between the scores and who's on top and who's on bottom, which is big for things like basketball and football, where there's a lot of points, but not big for things like soccer and hockey, where there isn't a lot of points. Exactly. Yes. So that's point spread betting, and yes. that's different than what Howard Richardson is what, doing. What is Howard what, Richardson? What he's doing is a as a stock market spread. Okay. And. Sp- so spread bets are bets placed on a financial market without actually buying the stocks. Okay. So you don't actually buy any stocks. So when when you place spread bets in the stock market, you're not actually buying a stock. No. What you're doing is placing investments on the chance that stocks will move in a certain direction up or down. Yes. And when we're talking about the GameStop issue, those short sells, that's yeah. that's saying I'm I'm betting the stock is going to go down to this yeah. to this amount and when it gets to that amount I'm going to buy it or sell it or do something, right? Yes. But in spread betting, you never buy or sell anything. You you're just it's a side bet. Yeah, it's a side bet. Yeah. Which is why it's illegal in the United States. I I'm sure it you is. You can't do spread betting on the stock market in the US. But in the UK, at least at the time that this script was written, the laws have changed a little bit since then, but in boring ways I won't explain. But in Britain, at this point, it was a tax-free bet. Oh, my god! You paid no taxes on the money that you won, and there usually wasn't even a commission to be paid. Oh, so no wonder he's doing it. Yeah, because it's a way to make money off the stock market that um, means that you keep more of the money that you make because you're not... You're not paying a stock trader a commission. You're not paying taxes on the money because it's kind of black market tax. I mean, it's black market stock, you know, betting sort of, you know, at least until the early 2000s, it it wasn't really seen all that bad in the UK. And the the other advantage besides the tax-free commission-free thing is that it's something you can do whether the stock market is really up or really down. There's money to be made no matter whether it's a bull or a bear market. Yeah. So really desperate people do spread bets. Yeah. Which is why Howard's doing it, right? Okay. He is broke. I have another question about Howard. Okay. There's a problem with the legality of them getting into the house. Yes. There's a problem with how the data is transferred to and from his house. Yes. There's a problem with figuring out how they know it's his house that has the computer stuff in it. All that is problematic. But I have a bigger problem. Okay. What is... What was his job? He did something in electronics. He was an and, engineer or and something. He, he was a... Electronics engineer. Like a boffin. Yeah. Like he's a, a, a well-knowledgeable person. Yes. Right? Like a lab scientist. He's, yes. He's knowledgeable enough to build this wireless contraption right. to send audio. Right? Would he not have a password on his computer? <laughs> 
He may have, but DC Stevens is quite the boffin herself. And so she probably bypassed it with some super secret cop code that only she knows about. Zuki sucks 15. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say the end of this is very satisfying, though. The fact that they confront Howard at Frobisher night in front of everybody well, and and one well, of the fancy people has just made a joke about, are you about goes, to admit that you're the murderer? Yeah, he goes, I have a confession. And somebody goes, oh, you're the murderer, are you? And like, everybody laughs. And he's and like, you're no, like, no, really, I am. No, I am the murderer. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to see you for a while. There's going to be some deaths. <laughs> the people are coming for the house. They're too. probably going to come take the house any minute. Sorry. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm think off about, to prison. Think about it. He's off to prison. He has no money problems anymore. He has no Zuki problems anymore. He can just go cultivate his eyebrows in peace. Yeah. I think he kind of wins at the end. Yeah, except that he killed two people. No, no, but... Two people who weren't bad. No, well, Larry. I, I'm not going to hang out it. with Larry, but he didn't deserve to die. No, he didn't. And cuts their throat, which... The second murder is awfully bloody. He definitely would have had blood on his slicker. All but over. it's pouring down rain, so yep. it's fine. It gets washed away, remember? Yep. It went well. It was a record night. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they do this weird thing where, uh, and I don't know how this works, because I'm not a cop. As a cop, I would want to try to keep the world of my cophood away from my family. But Joyce always wants to know what's going on. And he tells her this stuff that he has no business telling her. Yes and no. I mean, but it's drama. But wouldn't you do that? Well, it's it gets away from another yet another interrogation scene at the end of an episode. And you and I are both people who don't know what they think until they hear what they say. Yeah, like you have to talk through things as you're figuring them out. And that's been beneficial to Tom in many situations where Joyce hasn't given him any information, but he also knows that she's a valuable source of information and he trusts her. So he tells her about stuff. Yeah. So I understand. And it, it is a useful mechanic for us as as viewers because we get to understand what happened. Yes. Right. Without having and to see it. And now Joyce will get a nice, a decent night's sleep. <laughs> Maybe. And that is the great and the good. <laughs> Nice corpse. We've got two corpses. Best corpse is either Jim or Larry. I I gotta go with Larry. Yeah, wide open. There's a prosthetic on his neck. His neck does move a little bit. Yeah, but it's all right with me. Yeah, yeah. After the credits. Okay, so after the credits, Connie and Justin's big yellow balls get together and are happy. Yeah, I think so. I think. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Stroud and Imogen are happy. Yeah. Because uh, I think probably Miss Stroud is so pissed off at all of them. They took away meal, Meals on Wheels money. Like That's right out. That's right you out. Just don't do that. They probably take over Frobisher night. I would think so. Zuki? Wow. That's... Zuki's going to be living in her friend's summer house. Yep. <laughs> Zuki has some tough nights ahead of her. Mm-hmm. Vince still rubs the pub. Yeah. And the Fullers... Do you remember the Fullers? The Fullers are the couple that Zuki asked to give up their tickets. Yes, and Mr. Fuller is full of interesting village gossip. Oh, yes, and has a nice little front garden with uh, an ome in it. They're, like, happy that uh, they're not Mel. Now, the housekeeper that works at the Richardson's is going to have to find a different job. Yeah. But I don't think she's going to mind that. But really, it, 
Jim is a loss and Lawrence is a loss, but really Badger's Drift goes on. It's two people, man. There's no incest. There's no But Mark, what is Mel gonna do? I don't know what Mel is gonna do. <laughs> I don't know who Mel is. Except that she's played by James Bond's daughter. Are you ready for horrible movies? Okay. I'm ready for horrible movies. This movie is terrible. Ha, I bet Mark's seen it. The reason why Mel is important in this episode is not only because she's a mystery, but also because, man, has she been in some bad movies. Yeah, she is definitely Roger Moore's daughter. Okay, her name is Deborah Moore. Yep. And uh, she is in two of this week's three horrible movies I bet you've seen. Okay, I've lost all confidence I can figure this out, but... Hit me up. I've I've got hope for you. Okay. Okay. This is a 1988 movie. Okay. And Deborah Moore is in it. She plays the mysterious Mel in this Midsummer. Okay. An author discovers a UFO in the Colombian jungle. When he tries to spread the word, he earns more than the usual disbelief. Suddenly, he's hunted by almost every organization, like the CIA, the KGB, the mob, Nazis, and even extraterrestrials. Those ETs obviously do not want to phone home. Is this movie called Bullseye? No. I don't know what this movie is. It's called Top Line. Top Line. 1988. Never heard of it. Okay. One for me. It looks absolutely wackadoodle. Bonkers. All right. Second movie, 1985. Also, Deborah Moore is in this one, The Mysterious Melt. After civilization is wiped out by a nuclear war, an adventurer leads a group of wanderers on a search for the fabled mountain of life. Along the way, they encounter pygmy tribes, bands of savage outlaws, and a tribe of Amazon women. Is this Cherry 3000? No. I can see why you would have guessed that. 1985. It's Warriors of the Apocalypse. No. Never heard of that movie. Either. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. The third one I've, I've got faith in. I'm betting, I'm, I'm betting on you. If you were a spread, I'd be betting on your part of the spread. Completely knackered at this. I'm going to get you back here, okay? Okay. I'm going to build up the confidence. This okay. is a 1978 movie, Okay. and Tim Wilton is in it. He played Jim Hanley, okay. the first murder victim in this episode of Midsummer. Okay. A young aristocrat engages a nanny to look after his children while he pursues a life of debauchery with his mistress. He entrusts the running of the household to his menacing butler, who scorns his master's progressive attitudes and plots to take control. The butler uses dark magic against the nanny. The butler then passes evil visions onto the aristocrat, whose mind is broken when he pictures the butler sacrificing his son to Satan. Why have I not seen this movie? It stars Oliver Reed and Derek Jacoby. Oh my God, why have I not seen this movie? It's called Blue Blood, Blue 1978. God. Oh, I need to Oliver see Oliver Reed plays the evil butler and Derek Jacoby is the aristocrat. I need to see that movie today. I need to see <laughs> I thought for Reed sure you'd guess that yeah. one. Oliver Reed is fantastic. Apparently, he is quite good at being a satanic butler, I'm well, sure. yeah. And Derek Jacoby has some incredible lines. I just watched a couple of clips. Derek Jacoby is an incredible actor anyway, but he is really over the top in this. He's young, yeah. super handsome and debonair, and way over the top. Oh, and I mean- random music in this movie, too. 
Okay. It's got a lot of weird stuff going on. I'll put it on our Amazon list. Blue we'll... Blood from 1978. There's a hockey game on tonight, but maybe tomorrow night we'll watch I, Blue I, Blood. I feel bad that I got three out of three this week. You, you've made me feel guilty for I suck for at beating this game you. anymore. <laughs> but... Wow, yeah. If 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 you got the Google open, look up Blue Blood with Oliver Reed from 1978 and just watch a clip. Wow. Oliver Reed, famous for being in not only Pinball Wizard, but also the Devils that we've mentioned several times. About before. the nuns in the, yeah. yeah. But he, he wasn't... Who directed that movie? I don't, I couldn't tell you. It's called Blue Blood. But wasn't he also like a notorious alcoholic oh, in his yeah, career? Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, he yeah. was drunk in most of his roles. Oh, Completely. Because he was drinking Offset all the yeah. time, uh, which is sad for for him as a man. It's sad that that he was afflicted with that, but it does add a little bit to some of his roles. That's kind of unexpected. Oh, the poster is. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, he has quite the stash in this movie too. Yes. So that is the great and the good. Next week we embark on season thirteen. The last Barnaby season. Season what, 13. And what is the first episode? Made to Measure Murders with the tailor. Yes. Yes. Where Joyce goes to get her fancy coat. Yes. <laughs> Remember. And there's discussion of tartans. Yes. Remember, as we get closer to the last uh, Tom episode, we love to know your favorite Tom Barnaby moments. So send us an email, uh, record some audio for us and send it along. However you want to let us know. Yeah. We are going to put together a list of the best Barnaby moments. And if you send us one, we will include yours. Yep. All right. Until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. My colonoscopy is a colon show? Yes. Okay, we're cutting that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>